If you've been on earth for any time at all, you are sure to have faced temptation. Today, we'll conclude this series on prayer. I've decided to call it the prayer because as we've gone through it, it's become more obvious to me that the unique thing about this series on prayer is it focuses on more than simply communication with God. It focuses on things we discover as communicators with God. It's in that spirit that today we'll look at temptation and how and why it happens, what happens when we don't do so great at overcoming it, and what can happen when we do on this edition of Gems of Grace. Welcome to Gems of Grace. I am Wade C. Long. If you've been listening the past few weeks, you've been with us as we've made our way through the prayer known as the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples Prayer or the Model Prayer in a series called The Prayer. And I want to congratulate you for making it to the end of this series. And as we do so, I want to talk about temptation and then do some recap of the series. Matthew 6.13 reads like this, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Temptation, as we know it, is usually thought of as being urged or convinced to do something wrong, such as Adam and Eve in the garden. While most scholars seem to suggest a more accurate definition for temptation will be the word test, I have found that they can pretty much be one and the same. Satan tempted Adam and Eve while God tested their obedience. Satan tempted Job by bringing tragedy after tragedy while God tested Job's trust and his loyalty. Satan tempts us by sending an opportunity to have sex with someone we have no business. God tests our spiritual fortitude. Often, temptation comes in the form of sending something that seems great on the outside, but is actually bad inside. Some examples are bad food and too much of it, sexual temptations of diverse kinds, and other things like getting involved romantically with someone who isn't saved if you're a Christian. Sometimes Christians will use logic over faith and reason that since everything seems okay with Mr. Right or Miss Right, that this must be some kind of divine exception to biblical rule without thinking it through. The truth is, if it was easy to see the negative ahead of time, the word wouldn't need to warn us. We must get good at realizing Satan will often hide the bad from something just long enough for us to give into it. Then, once he's trapped us in it, that ungodly relationship or profession without escape, all hell breaks loose. Why then does God allow temptation? After all, he is sovereign and knows the end from the beginning, so he can stop anything he sees coming, right? Well, that's true. But much like salvation, God won't make choices for us. There are consequences and rewards for each choice, but the decision of what to do is usually left up to us. I'll sidebar and say this is also a response to that timeless question of, why a loving God would send someone to a burning hell? The answer is simpler than we make it out to be. God simply doesn't send people to hell. Hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels who sought to take over heaven and over God. 
and to put a stop to it once and forever, God created hell as a prison to hold Satan and the rest of the fallen angels until the day of judgment. The truth is this. The Bible is a roadmap to two destinations. God tells us how to get to both. Then he disregarding his deep desire to be with us forever, each and every one of us. He refuses to decide for us which way we'll go. Just like the third of heaven's angels that fell alongside Satan, God leaves the decision of whom to follow up to us. Salvation is a gift. And like any good gift, the giver will not force us to accept it. The question of why would a loving God send someone to hell also falsely defines love. Love is unselfish. It does not force its own way. Selfishness and control demand their own ways. God is love. For God to force us to accept salvation would then in turn disqualify him from being a loving God. Because he would then be demanding his own way and our choice of whom to worship and to spend eternity with. Something else we need to understand about temptation is that Satan gives no good gifts because there is no good in him. So if it's being offered and it seems good, but it doesn't go alongside what's taught to us in the written word of God, then it's a bad offer from a bad devil who made it look and perhaps feel right in order to get us to go along with it. Another thing to remember is that Satan will often offer that which he cannot give. In the garden, he told Adam and Eve, God didn't want them to eat the fruit because God didn't want them to be like him. Adam and Eve ate the fruit and consequently became less like God. In Matthew chapter four, Satan tempted Jesus and told him he'd give him the kingdoms of the earth. I always say Satan is bad under pressure, and this, to me, is exhibit A. Don't get me wrong. He's wise and ingenious, and we have to respect that, or else we'll allow ourselves to get trapped by him easier, thinking he's not so smart. The problem for him is he's also foolish. I believe he knew the time of Christ's death was near, and thus the resurrection because how foolish do you have to be to offer the king of kings the kingdom of the earth that he created? How foolish do you have to be to offer the creator that which he himself made? Colossians 1 says in him, Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead and all that was made by him. I also believe that Satan thrives on sending temptation our way when we are closest to our blessings. Just like Esau being tricked out of his birthright by Jacob. But what did Jesus say we are to do about temptation? Jesus said that we are to pray that God lead us not into temptation. And with that, I want to close our series by reviewing what else Jesus taught us to pray about. And by the way, if you've gone through all six messages or any part of them, I want to congratulate you once again. I believe you're a better prayer now than when we first started. So let's review. In part one, we said how prayer needs to be personal, plain and private communication. Prayer is conversation, so it shouldn't be a show. 
And we can and should speak plainly to God and in our own words when we pray. Part two, we said that we should pray with praise and we pray with praise, first of all, because it's good manners. And I mentioned how it's not good to start a conversation with anyone just by asking for stuff. We also pray with praise because God is king and it's proper to address his honor with honor. And we reference Psalm 22 and how it says he lives in our praises. So we understand that addressing God with praise gives access to God's power. Then we ask God for his daily provision. And we said how this practice leads to less worry and how less worry equals more faith. We also said that asking God for daily provision increases our dependence on him and creates a pattern of daily dependence, which allows us to exercise the muscles of our faith frequently. On last gems, we talked about forgiveness and the importance of it for multiple areas of our lives and how denying forgiveness can even affect our health. We talked about pride's role in unforgiveness and how the same Jesus who died for you and I died for the ones we don't want to forgive. And today we went over temptation, tried to figure out some of why temptation happens and what happens when we don't overcome it and what happens when we do. With that in mind, let's look at what can happen when we do overcome temptation. In Matthew chapter four, once Jesus overcomes temptation, he is ministered to by angels and later in that same chapter, we see his ministry begins. So what can happen when you and I overcome temptation? We can become catapulted right into our divine destiny. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these few lessons on prayer. We ask that you will continue to help us grow and strengthen in communication with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I'm so grateful you joined us for this series. I'll be starting a shorter series on overcoming grief soon, and I hope you'll join us for that one too. Hit us on Twitter or Instagram at GE Missions and let us know if this series was a blessing to you and how it's affected your prayer life. For Gems of Grace, I'm Wade C. Long, and as my grandmother, the late Mary Vaughn, would say, keep on praying.